Welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. Uh, we're very excited to see every single one of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, we put so much time and work and strategy into everything we do here. I hope you can tell uh, the worship, for example, their, their goal is never to perform for you. They're never here to just kind of hope, hope you sing along for some weird reason. They're trying to help you connect with God. They're trying to bring a smile to God's face and help you do that. When we serve communion, when we take up an offering, we're helping you to not only obey Christ, but to connect with him in real and powerful ways. And as we look at his word together this morning, that's exactly what we're trying to do as well. As we're trying to see his direction, we're trying to constantly make sure that we are going the direction he's leading us and that we're, we're picking up steam, we're picking up momentum instead of slowing down. It's never an option to just coast. That's when you start to die. The last several, several weeks, we've been looking at the ultimate story, celebrating Jesus Christ's rise to power as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and how we fit into that story. Uh, it's always super exciting for me to go back and to see that story, not only because it's so amazing, because I just really love really great stories. I love movies and books, and I, I love to write, and I love to, to, I appreciate great writing. And if this story had been written, it's perfect. But it's true. It's absolutely just what happened. And I believe, as we said that several times the last couple of weeks, it's because that this is the story we were wired to love, wired to collect, connect with, wired to live out, that that is the reason that we love the kind of stories we love. But as we look at this story, there's no way to look at Jesus in his position now as ultimate authority. There's no way to look at who he is and what he's telling us and miss his intent. He is looking for a worldwide kingdom. He is looking for us to actually build our lives day by day and choice by choice on his teachings. He's looking for us to spread that literally around the world. And it wasn't just to his original disciples, it's just as much us. That is, a, that is an idea that just never will cease to blow my mind. See, we live in Act 3. We live in the part of the story that is still going on in between Jesus' resurrection and his return. This is, in this time of history, we are just as much a part of God's big story as the original disciples and apostles were. We're just as, mar as much a part of this story as Moses and Esther and Deborah and Gideon and all of the Bible story heroes that we grew up listening to. All of these great stories, we are part of this same story. They're real people that lived in real time and interact with the same real God that we interact with now. And that is just such an amazing thought to me. I love this really meta moment from Lord of the Rings. If you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you, except it's an awesome, great story. And these guys are kind of the, they're called hobbits. They're about this big, but they end up kind of saving the world. They're awesome. The guy on the right is Frodo. He has this ring that he has to destroy, and that's kind of what's driving the story. And then the guy on the left is Sam, and he kind of carries the whole thing. He's Frodo's best friend, but he ends up playing a much bigger part. There you go. But this is why I want to share this, this, theme, this scene with you. This is straight out of the book, minus a couple of phrases just for time. But in this scene, they're kind of talking about the idea of being in a story and what kind of a story are they living out. And some of the things that they're talking about is exactly what I believe God wants to say to us this morning, and it's going to kind of kick it off. So here we go. This is a scene from the book, Lord of the Rings. 
In the old wives' tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back. Only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those that just went on. And not all to a good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it might call a good end. I wonder what kind of a tale we've fallen into. I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs and tales told by the fireside or read out of a great big book. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the famousest of the hobbits. And that's saying a lot. Why, Sam, Frodo said, to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if the story were already written. But you've left out one of the chief characters, Samwise the Stouthearted. I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. Why didn't they put in more of his talk, Dad? That's what I like. It makes me laugh. And Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam, would he, Dad? Now, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, you shouldn't make fun. I was serious. So was I, said Frodo. And so I am. And these are the truths that I believe God wants us to capture more than ever before this morning. If we're going to get anything done, we've got to remember these. First off, we all have lots of chances to turn back. No matter what God has called you to as an individual, as part of a family or a group, or as part of a church, as part of God's global church, we all have lots of chances to turn back. But the only people who ever get to where God wants them to go are the people who don't. They don't take those chances to turn back. They go on. And not only do they go on, the way, they realize that the way to go on, the way to actually get something done is to team up. If you ever read the story Lord of the Rings, or if you already have, you know that without Sam, the whole thing would have fallen apart, even though Frodo was the hero. Uh, we have to team up. This is how God designed us. We work in teams. We have, we all, that's how it always worked. Even God himself is part of a trinity. That blows my mind, but there it is. It's true. But most of all, when we team up, when we go on and we team up, we get the job done. We find the unity that we need in our shared passion for a shared purpose. This is always how great adventures happen. This is always how great things are accomplished. This is not just how great stories are told. This is how people win ball games. This is how people create and perform a great concert. This is how anything that's worth doing gets done. It's when people, they don't take their chances to turn back. Instead, they go on, they team up, and they, with that shared passion, they get the job done. Last week, I showed you a really cool diagram um, about leadership and we're going to explore this more and more in the next couple of weeks. This comes from a book called The Servant Driven Church by Ray Fullenweider. Ray Fullenweider was a, a pastor. And the, the original drawing of this was actually created by one of the people in his church. And uh, at, at the writing of the book, this guy was one of his most trusted advisors, best teammates, loyal people. He was one of the elders in the church, one of the most dynamic leaders. But when the guy who first came up with this diagram first came up with it, he wasn't any of those things. He was just a guy on a mission trip. And when he wrote it, he was actually really frustrated. 
He, was, he had made it. He was on an airplane. He was actually drawing on a napkin. But what was going through his mind at the time was their church at that moment was more concerned with making sure who was in charge of things than they were with getting things done. They were, more, uh, they were more concerned with making sure they followed their bylaws and things like that than they were to make sure that they were doing what Jesus had told them to do. He was frustrated with all the red tape and all the hoops to jump through. And so he was praying about it and thinking about it. And he had a chance on that flight to turn back. He had a chance to just give up and say, you know what, after this mission trip, I'm out. But instead, he prayed about it. He said, God, what do you want? And God started showing him some stuff. And he realized that all leadership, all churches, this is what needs to happen. We're going somewhere. Leaders lead. God wants us to go somewhere. It's not about getting in a position in any sense of that word. It's about getting in the right direction. And as he began to draw and pray about this, and then he showed it to Ray, eventually they started teaming up. They went on, and eventually all the great things happened. That is why he can write a book and tell us how to do stuff better. It's, it, they did, it was wonderful. And it was because these were the choices that they made. Is this making sense so far? Are you guys getting this? I know it's kind of almost lunchtime and everything, but I, I want to make sure this connects because this is really, really important stuff. Let's read out loud together if you would. This is uh, Matthew 24, 14. This is Jesus himself talking. He, in, the, in context, he's talking about the end of time. They're asking, what, how will we know when this world's about to end, when you're about to come back, when it's all going to be over? And in the midst of this, he says this. Let's read it together. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Now let me just remind you, just in case uh, you forgot. In the Bible, when it talks about nations, it's not talking about legal countries. It's talking about any distinct group of people that have a distinct language and culture of their own. It's a, group, a distinct group of people. That's what, that's what it means by nations. Let's read that one more time. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. How many are excited about Jesus coming back? Anybody? I know I am. That one verse is enough for me to get more fired up than ever about missions and about evangelism and about reaching out more strategically right here in this community. Because Jesus has said he's not coming back until every single group of people on this earth has had a chance to respond to the gospel. I, I want to make it really clear uh, before I go any further today that if, if, you, if any of this sounds convicting to you, if any of this stuff that is like we got to do more, we got to do more, I want you to know that it's coming from, from a position of great, gratefulness, a position of, of joy. I, I want you to know that I'm so proud of this church. I am so proud of so many servants and so many people that do so much all the time to reach out. There are wonderful things happening already. It's just the minute we start coasting as a minute we start dying spiritually. The minute we start going, hey, there's, there's five more people than there used to be. I don't need to talk to anybody else. That's the minute that the church starts dying. And so we've always constantly got to be saying, God, where are you leading us? Where are you taking us? How do you want us to get to the next spot? It's not that where we are is bad. It's that we, where we are has to be in pursuit of Jesus 
at all times. So I just wanted to make that clear. And this is Jesus talking, okay? So let's read this next part. This again is the Great Commission. My goal is literally that everyone will know this by heart before too long if you don't already. But let's read it together one more time. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Last week I mentioned this kind of casually. I want to just make it really overt and obvious. One of our fundamental beliefs as a church is this. When the Bible speaks clearly, when Jesus himself, the ultimate authority, makes a statement that is just almost impossible to understand, it's a mistake to respond with, so what happens if we don't do that? It's a mistake to say, well, what, I, how do I know he's actually talking to me? How do I know that? But when we, we believe the Bible is true, we believe that God speaks through it, we believe God is speaking to us now, and we believe that when we see, we see a clear command in Scripture, that the only appropriate response is to say, okay, so how do we get that done? How exactly is God calling us to get that done? As individuals, as families, as small groups, as a church, as part of his global church, exactly how do we get this done? How do we keep going? When we feel like turning back. How do we team up more than ever before? How do we do what he wants us to do? Not if, how. In accomplishing anything great, it requires strategy. Strategy is um, basically having a plan. It's not that complicated and I'm not going to waste your time explaining what strategy is. But I guarantee you that if you've ever seen anything done well, there was strategy involved. Somebody had a plan. Somebody followed it through. Um, there's, a, there's a really interesting thing, just an imagery thing that I'd like to share with you about the Bible. In a couple of weeks, you'll understand why this is a little more important to me. Um, but throughout the Bible, whenever you see a bird, there's, it usually has something to do with strategy. And it also usually has something to do with, the, with God's provision. Often it has to do with both at the same time. One example of that is where Elijah, the prophet, um, goes to the king Ahab and he tells him it's not going to rain for three years. And it doesn't. God provides for him by sending ravens carrying food every single day. These birds provide for him. At, at the end of the story of Noah, he sends out birds. Um, to, to find out if the water has gone down or not. Whenever Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And you see this kind of idea. And also, this is in popular culture. As far back as 1670, there was a guy named John Ray who published a book of famous sayings of the day. And this was in it. You might have heard something along these lines. The early bird catcheth the worm. Anybody heard this before? Okay. Yeah, and here's why. Why do early birds catch the worm? Why do birds represent strategy? Because they go where the worms are, you, right? The worms come up early in the morning, and so that's when the, worms, they, that's when the birds show up to get them. That's, they, they, they think through this. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just instinct. Maybe it's God whispering in their ear. But you see birds showing up, and you see them catching the worms. And so this represents that to us. But it, accomplishing great things doesn't just require saying, okay, I'll do it or even making a good plan, it also requires a lot of hard work. And honestly, I'd like to skip that part. 
this morning because I'd like to just make you feel good and all warm and fuzzy. Wouldn't that be fun? But I'm trying to tell you the truth. When, when we respond to God in obedience, when we respond and say, okay, I'm going to do what you told me to do. You said go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything, keep that process going until we've reached everybody. Okay, we'll do that. Here's the question I'm going to ask is how? How exactly? When we respond that, then we start saying, okay, so how? Then our strategy kicks in and then there's going to be a lot of hard work. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. He spent very little time talking or thinking about God or even his own family or close relationships. So that area of his life was mostly a wreck. But in almost every other area of his life, he was an incredible success. The reason is, every morning he got up really early and he focused all of his intellect, all of his resources, all of his focus on whatever he was working on at the time, whether that was a scientific problem, whether that was an invention, some sort of a political assignment, it didn't matter. Whatever he was working on, something he was writing, whatever it was, he was 100% focused and he got a lot done. Under the pseudonym of Poor Richard, in Poor Richard's Almanac, he wrote this, Plow deep while sluggards sleep. And you shall have corn to sell and to keep. Let me read that one more time. I like that. Plow deep while sluggards sleep. And you shall have corn to sell and to keep. If we're going to really care about the things God wants us to get done, it has to take some planning and it has to take some hard work. I don't know why God put it all in our court. I don't know why he put that responsibility on us, but he did. We are playing that part in the story, whether we like it or not. We're either doing a good job or we're doing a bad job at any given time. But we're doing the job. Let's read Acts 1-8 together. I hope this is also very uh, familiar to you. Uh, there's actually a series online where we really unpack this for like a month. It's called The Kingdom. You can go back and listen to that at morrisonnell.com if you want. But this morning, very briefly, I just want to catch us up about how we're already doing these things and maybe hopefully get your imagination going how we could do even more. Or even better, pray about exactly how God would like us to do even more. But first, let's read this. These are also the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like many stories in the Bible, this is literal but it's also metaphorical. Jesus literally meant Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but it also represents you start wherever you are and you build out from there. Let's talk about how we're doing that already. At the ends of the earth, the way that Morrison Hill reaches the ends of the earth is we support missionaries who are going there. And we have a bunch of them. Some of them we can't even mention out loud because these messages get recorded and uh, they're in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. And um, so we have to kind of just kind of keep that on the down low. Some of the ones I can talk about, this is not a complete list, but the Christian Holy Land Foundation in Israel and the Atma Project in Papua New Guinea. 
And honestly, I think our missions team does a wonderful job. They do a great job of supporting the missionaries, keeping us informed, praying for them. In fact, this morning, you should have found a brand new thing they're trying today on, on, the, on the pew. Those are for you to take home. These are bookmarks that just tell you some ways you can pray for our missionaries more. They're going to give you refills for these as, as time goes by, new things to pray about. And I would love for you, every single one of you, whether missions is your personal passion or not, to pray for our missionaries and pray for us as we try to reach the entire world through that. The truth is there's still about 7,000 people groups or nations left that are still unreached. And as good of a job as we're doing in so many ways, that's not okay. We've got to reach everybody. So we need to pray about how we can do more in that direction. Uh, to reach our Judea and our Samaria, the people we can geographically get to, uh, the people we can, maybe we have to cross some cultural barriers or something, but we can get there. Some of the ways that we do that is we take mission trips to South Dakota every year. Uh, we, have, uh, we support the ability ministry. We support a lot of uh, places that train people to be missionaries or to just deepen their spiritual experience like Smoky Mountain Christian Camp and Johnson University. We're always praying and seeking out about how we can do more in these areas. And I believe he's trying to take us in some, some new areas as well. But this is something we are doing. My challenge to you is how can we do it more? What part does he want you to play? Is there a different role, a, a bigger role? better role, a more effective role that maybe he's calling you into. And finally, our Jerusalem is wherever we are right this minute. Your own life, your own family, your own closest circle of friends, this church, this community, pretty close. And again, Morrison Hill does so much. We have so many teams that serve together to do so many different things. It's incredible. And I'm so blessed so amazed, so honored to be part of a congregation that's that serious about God, that's serious about getting his will accomplished. It's wonderful. And yet, I know we could do more. Here's one example. You know what it would take for our church to double, literally double in numbers in one year? Every single one of you bring one person. Just one. That's it. You got a whole year. A whole year to lead one person to Christ. If every single person led one person to Christ, we would double. It would be that simple. What's actually happened is there's a lot of great stories about communities that are bringing all their friends and middle schoolers that are bringing their middle school friends and their whole family ends up joining our church. There's so many great things that are happening already. But literally, if every one of us just reached one person, we would double. And that tells me that there is more that could be done. There is more stuff that we could be accomplishing and we've got to be asking God, what do you want? Does that make sense? Do you guys see? It's not judgment. It's just, it's just common sense and it's, it's, we've got to get his work accomplished. It's also important to remember as we grow, and we are growing. I don't know if you've looked around and noticed, but our church is growing and I'm excited about that. But as we grow, it's always important to remember that God is even more concerned with how we live than he is how many people show up. He's way more concerned with that. He, he didn't say go into all the world and make a bunch of people show up. He says go into the, all the world and make disciples. Here's some things that Paul said about what the church looks like as it grows. Ephesians 4.16. Paul says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for all of their hard work. That's the kind of attitude that actually gets this stuff done. We go on, we team up, and we passionately work together to accomplish his goals. One of my favorite authors in the, in the genre of missions is a guy named Don Richardson. He's a, he was a missionary himself for many years and then became an author and an expert on worldwide missions. I love this saying, and I'd like you to say this out loud with me if you would. The God who prepared the gospel for all peoples also prepared all peoples for the gospel. Let's read that one more time. The God who prepared the gospel for all peoples also prepared all peoples for the gospel. At the end of the day, we're only, we're only accountable for the things God tells us to do. We're not always accountable for the results. But when you see great results, here's, here's some things you can guarantee happen. Number one, the person who was doing the reaching out, they were serious about it. There was some strategy. There was some hard work. There was some endurance. There was some teaming up. All of those things happen, and they, they did what they were supposed to do. But when it actually works, on the other side, you can also see God's hand. God is preparing people. Even this morning, I guarantee you that some of you are drinking in every word. And that's because God is really trying to tell you something. It's not because I'm that great of a speaker. It's because he's really trying to help you connect with something important this morning. And I guarantee you, as much as I hate it, I, I guarantee you somebody in this room is going, how much longer is this guy going to talk? When can I leave? And there's probably everything in between because that's just how it is. That's how we are. We're human beings. I'm accountable to tell you what I really believe God is telling me to tell you this morning. But those of you who are really getting it this morning, I think you need to be aware he's preparing you to do something. He's speaking to you. Adoniram Judson was a missionary that lived in the early 1800s and he served in Burma. He went alone. He felt like God was calling him to go there. Nobody else would go with him. He went there. For seven years, he labored and got almost nothing. At the end of seven years, he finally got one convert. Uh, along the way, he started translating the Bible into their language. And he had so many chances to just turn back, to just give up. But instead, he chose to go on and to team up. It must have been a really hard sell, but it worked. He got some other missionaries to join him, and they continued to try and try and reach out. Unbeknownst to him the entire time, they, were, they lived nearby a whole group of people, thousands and thousands of people called the Karen people. And these people were kind of out in the woods and they were, they were not really next to the cities and all the places where he'd spent most of his time. A lot of people didn't hardly even know they were out there. They were kind of just rumored to be there, but they were real. And these people, they had a really interesting religion. And here's what it was. They believed that long ago, they had followed the one true God, the creator of the world, and that they had a book that told them his will. And somewhere along the line, they'd lost it. And they lived for a prophecy that one day someone would bring them a book and help them reconnect with the one true God. They called him Yahweh. Does that sound anything vaguely familiar? Judson and all of his team had no idea about this. But when some of the people he had teamed up with, instead of giving up and going home, and their first convert among the Karen who had come to town, when they went out there with the scriptures he'd been working on seemingly fruitlessly for all these years, within a couple of days, that entire nation came to Christ. That entire group of people 
They'd been waiting. They were being prepared. They never would have come to Christ if they, would, if they wouldn't have done the strategy and the hard work God called them to do. And it never would have worked if God hadn't been preparing them. And this is the way it works. This is how it works. And we'll never get to see God's will unless we all play our part. Here's a couple last really big ideas. I'm just going to throw them out. I, I, they mean a lot to me. They're things I try to remember as I share, as I try to speak the gospel to others, and I hope that they help you. Number one, try to speak the language. And by speaking the language, primarily, here's what I mean. Remember, one of the key truths in Scripture is this, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That applies in a lot of different areas. But when you're sharing the gospel, it definitely applies. And as you listen, as you listen more than you talk, a lot of times you're going to start hearing some ideas that God's already implanted in those people. Things that are hungry for, thirsty for, longing for, needing, questions they have that you happen to have an answer for, rather than just a whole bunch of answers you want them to believe regardless. As you do that, you'll do that. Here's some examples in scripture where this happened is the apostle John when he begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He uses the term logos, which is a Greek word for word. He didn't just randomly choose that. That had been around for about 600 years as a Greek term for the whatever mysterious order there is behind the whole universe. The Greek philosophers had reasoned that if there are things like math, and physics, and gravity, and some other things that just are, there's clear order in the universe somewhere, somehow, there has to be something behind that. There has to be something that kind of started that, made that happen. So John starts out his gospel speaking directly to that. He says, yeah, you know what? In the beginning, there was something like that. There was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, and guess what? We met him. And it's Jesus. He's speaking their language. In Acts chapter 17, you see Paul reaching out to three separate groups of people in three different ways. He's, he goes to synagogues and reasons with Jews, telling them that the Messiah is already come. He goes to other Jews that were really, really into studying the scriptures, and he walks them through a really intense Bible study. And many of them come to Christ because they're convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he goes to Athens, Greece, the center of the Greek philosophy of that day. And he reasons with them, but he doesn't walk in waving a Hebrew Bible. He walks in and he says, um, I see you've got a, an altar to an unknown God. And he reasons with them. And he says things like, you know what? Um, don't you think that if there's one real God, don't you think he made us, not we made him? Mind blown, right? And, but he spoke their language. This is something you should always do. Another one, and I've got to do this quick so we can wrap up here, but this is one more big idea. Um, it's called Pareto's Law or the 80-20 principle. But most of the time, here's, here's the way groups work and just the things we choose to do all the time. Um, and if we can all be asking this question, it helps a lot. A lot of times in any group, any church, any organization, any family, whatever, about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Have you ever noticed that? And the 80% maybe get the other 20% done. What if you realize, what if you mobilize the 80% to do 80% of the work? You get so much more work done, so much faster, so much better. That's a question we should always be asking. How do we mobilize the 80%? How do we get everybody involved? 
And another thing that happens is even when you know somebody who's an incredibly hard worker, someone who just busts it every single day, a lot of times the things that we do aren't all effective. Probably about 20% of the things we spend all our time on are the things that produce the real results we're after. So if you can always be asked, what are those things? What's the 20% of the stuff that I do that actually makes a difference? What if I can do more of that? What if I can get rid of some of the 80% that is a lot of hard work and time and energy and money, but maybe I don't need to do that so I'd have more time to do this other? I'm going to get more results. Those are great questions just to be asking ourselves as individuals, families, as a church, and part of God's global church. One more time, let's look at that, um, that diagram of leadership. Again, you see how this works. These are the kind of questions that we as the leaders are asking. And we need your prayers, we need your help, we need your ideas because we're trying to figure out exactly where God wants us to go at all times. Where, where, not just where we are right now, but where is he taking us? How are we going to get there? But if you see ministry teams that work together to get the work done, that's where great things are accomplished. So here's my challenge to you this morning. There's a prayer, simple prayer in the bulletin insert. It's basically this. God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? Keep doing exactly what I'm doing because many of you are doing awesome things already. Something else? Something more? Something less? Something different? Just ask him. Just say, God, what exactly do you want me to do? Because I know that I have to be part of this outreach program you've got. I've got to be part of expanding your kingdom. What part do you want me to play? What part do you want our church to play? What part do you want our leaders to play? Pray for us. Pray together. And let's keep seeking God as we move his direction so that he can direct us exactly. And if you know something you need to do this morning, if you need to give your life to Christ, give it back to Christ, join our church, ask for prayer, anything at all, we invite you to make a decision as we, as we stand and sing just now. But most of all, would you just worship God with us? Most of all, would you recommit and pray this prayer with us? God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do.